Keith here. When I started making the first episode of, I had no experience doing podcast interviews, especially the technical side of things. It was a lot of confusing steps, setting up double enders or making do with low quality recordings on whatever app I could figure out. But it got a whole lot easier when I started using Zencaster. Made for podcasts with Zencaster, it's so easy to do everything. You and your guests log in with a browser and record studio quality sound and up to 4K video, even with an unstable connection. And it's an all-in-one deal. You don't need a lot of different tools or services. With Zencaster, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and other major platforms. If you've ever thought about making your own podcast, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code TFEO and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story on Zencaster. Hey, it's Keith. If you're a lover of audio drama like I am, you need to know about the Apollo app. Apollo is designed around audio drama, so finding your next story is easy. You can always listen through Apollo for free, but there's also the Apollo Plus subscription. With it, you get ad-free listening, exclusives, and other bonus content for over 40 shows. And 70% of the revenue on Apollo Plus goes to those creators. Join Apollo Plus through the Apollo Podcasts app or apollopods.com. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Timms, audio drama producer and podcaster. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about their show, their methods, struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of Blazed All Our Lives. Created by Sister Indica, if you take the camp of Dynasty, mixed it with the savage humor of the Golden Girls, and filtered it through John Waters' twisted brain, you'd get the surrealistic stoner soap opera Blazed All Our Lives. An over-the-top homage to classic nighttime soaps, Blazed All Our Lives cast of powerful women, many of whom are performed by drag artists, clash in power plays, family turmoil, seduction, betrayal, and murder. Sister Indica plays a version of herself in the show. The episodes are more or less standalone stories, with the same characters, following an occasional release schedule. The first episode, A Deadly Christmas, finds Sister Indica's media empire in trouble, but she hopes to find happiness in her new boyfriend, Seymour Bush, who has just divorced her rival, Rosie Bush, to be with her. But little does she know, Seymour plots to take over her company, and make off with her millions. I spoke to Sister Indica from her home in Sacramento. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background as an artistic person. My name is Sister Indica, and I'm a multimedia drag artist who currently lives in Sacramento, California. And I have been an artist for most of my life, honestly, since I was probably like seventh grade is when I mm-hmm. was really started to put a lot of effort toward my art, which was initially writing. And then I became a musician and was doing music for 
most of my life. Well, what kind of stuff were you doing back then? I started my musical journey like in 95. I independently made my first record. My biggest inspirations at that moment when I first started doing art were Karen Finley, the performance artist. And, I know Karen Finley. And Laurie Anderson. Oh, my God. Okay. We, we, ha- we're now, we are now best friends because I adore Laurie Anderson. Oh, she's... Can I tell you a quick Laurie Anderson story? Please do. Yes. Okay. Before I went to college, I had like... I, I moved myself up from independently recording my own stuff, like on cassette tapes and really DIY method of recording. And then I moved up to like, you know, four track, eight track, 16 track recorders in people's bedrooms. And then I eventually went into a real recording studio with real producers and musicians. So at that point, like I really had a very clear vision of what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be as an artist. And so as soon as I got to college, when I was 19 years old, back in the late 90s, I shot her manager an email just saying, hey, I'm a singer songwriter. And I would just love it if Lori would produce my next album. You know, you never know if, if anyone's ever going to respond right. to such an, a ridiculous email. <laughs> and um, her manager responded to me and said, thank you so much, you know, for the very kind offer. However, Lori is very busy right now. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep you in mind kind of thing. And it's like, <laughs> they didn't have to write at all. They didn't have to say anything. But the fact that they took the time to write me back and they were so kind. So it's not necessarily her directly, but you can tell a lot about a person by who they surround themselves with. Right. So that just endeared me to her more. And I have just been the biggest fan for my whole life, like since since I was a teenager. What do you like about her style uh, and how did that influence you as an artist? It didn't like start and stop with music because I don't just think of her as a musician. I think of her as an artistic entity because she is multimedia like myself. You know, we, we both have our hands in very many different pots. I like people who are good producers, who have their own ear and aren't necessarily simply a creation of the people they're working with at that particular point in time. Because you'll see so many people that put a record out and you love it. It's so good. Um, And then they put something else out and you're like, ugh, like what's going on here? This is just not the artist I fell in love with. And it's really because of who they were working with production wise. So mm, right. for Lori, her, yeah, her production, her ear, her ability to produce, her interest in technology and her talent with technology and creating her own instruments, she's self-contained. And that inspires me. And I carry that with myself, with me as well, in that I do everything. If we were to see you in performance, what could we expect? Like, I'm not a drag queen where I'm going to lip sync or whatever. If you're Mm going to see me live, I'm most likely going to be hosting something. I'm going to be hosting an event. I will be on the microphone, bantering, harassing the audience. But my drag is really an extension of community service, not court ordered, (laughs) because I want to. Community (laughs) service, because I'm part of an organization known as the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. We are a 21st century order of queer nuns and we minister to our communities and we do fundraising, consciousness raising, raise hell when needed politically. I like to think of us as these individual and collective mobile safe havens for people, especially those who um, have been rejected from society because of their sexuality, gender identity, really anything. And I don't really feel like it's limited to the queer community. It's really anyone who needs to know and be reminded that they're perfect as they are. There's nothing wrong with them. 
we kind of help them unhook the tethers of guilt and shame that society and religion, et cetera, put onto people. So we're just here to say, hey, you don't have to listen to them. You don't have to believe what you've been told. You're perfect as you are. And there are people around you who accept you for that and allow you to have that space to just be who you are. And so that's really the work that the sisters do. And it is through me being a sister that I really started heavily getting into podcasting as an extension of my ministry with the sisters, which accidentally turned into audio trauma. (laughs) My work, whether it's music, writing, being a sister, my work has all had the same purpose, which is a method for me to connect with people because I'm autistic. People seemed very foreign to me. I felt like I was a visitor from another planet sent here to observe humanity. You know, I just have never felt part of people. I've always felt apart from. And so my work has always had the purpose of, for me, to connect. I don't know. I'm also a huge stoner and I have ADHD. So (laughs) So no official training, just self teaching myself all throughout the years and continuing to educate myself. And, and I think if anyone were to listen to the series Blazed All Our Lives, you'd listen throughout the episodes, which are really independent audio films. They're not episodic in the typical sense. They're, yeah. they're like films. If you listen to each audio film in the series, you're going to notice quality increasing <laughs> each time. It's just because I'm teaching myself more. So it's, yeah. a, it's, a, a, it's an evolution. You said you got into podcasting through your work with the sisterhood. Yeah. Well, I've always had a passion for media, like music and stuff like that. I actually went to college for broadcasting because I Mm -hmm. wanted to be in either TV or radio. And this is back in the 90s. So at the time, if you think of radio, you think of two people, Howard Stern or Mm -hmm. Wendy Williams. Those were my broadcasting inspirations. I loved how controversial they were. They were not afraid to piss people off. They weren't afraid to shake the nest. They were disruptors. And I just loved them. And so before I became a sister, I actually had a radio show with my best friend. And it was very much like you would think if someone who was a fan of Howard Stern and Wendy Williams, it was controversial. It was offensive. It was shaking the tables. It was just insane. So I wiped it from the internet (laughs) (laughs) for that reason, because it was just meant to shock, honestly. It wasn't until like 2014 that I'm like, look, I have a good base of what being a sister means to me. And I had been doing it for many years and I had developed my own brand, as you could say, as a sister. And so I just wanted to expand upon the media I was already doing with other people just in the community. And so I'm like, you know, I want to do a podcast where I interview other sisters, really get to know the person behind the veil. So you see that they're real human beings, not just these cartoon character type clowns that you would see. A way to just get like a peek behind the veil so people could really learn the folks who are really doing this work and get to know them more. And why are they doing it? You know, what made them want to do it? All that kind of stuff. So it started off as a way for me to just continue to extend my ministry, but around the world. So I was interviewing sisters and talking about upcoming events that we were doing. And then it just turned into a therapy tool for myself where I would just kind of talk about what I was going through, any of the issues I was experiencing, just my life. It eventually ended up turning into why we're here today, which is blazed all our lives. Like I said, it was an absolute fluke and it was only supposed to be like my Christmas special for Joy Bomb, my podcast. 
Okay, so the first episode of Blaze All Lives was intended to be a one-shot thing? Yeah, just a little one-shot thing, just a little, because every year, because I'm a huge fan of Christmas, I love Christmas, It's I'm like, in my mind, is a Hallmark Christmas movie on a loop <laughs> my entire, like, all 365 days of the year. I am the queen of Christmas. So I was doing these Christmas specials every year for my show because I loved when like sitcoms would do holiday specials, you know, Roseanne before Trump, you know, (laughs) the Golden Girls, any TV show, any sitcom, they would always do like, you know, especially at Christmas. So Blaze was just me yet again, leveling up. And I'm like, okay, I've had this idea on the back burner in my ideas folder for many years, which was an audio drama soap opera. That's all I had listed on a, on a note to myself, but I just never did anything with it until I met my drag daughter, Rosie Bush, who is not connected with the sisterhood. She's just a drag artist. I just came upon her work when she first started. She had done a, a little video on Facebook for um, an organization that was doing a, like a fundraising drive for children, like a drive to get kids school supplies, get mm-hmm. them prepared yeah. for school. So she did this one minute video and in that one minute video, it was just like an explosion in my mind where I saw an entire world for this character. Like it burst to life. I reached out to her immediately and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm obsessed with you. Like this is so, you're so talented. You're such a good actor. And she's like, help me with my makeup. I'm like, sure, <laughs> gladly. I would love to help you with your makeup. And so I kind of became a drag mom in us becoming friends. I saw this whole world. And so I created Blazed with her in mind, like, and she is my muse. What turned it from a one shot thing into an ongoing thing? Though it turned out so well. (laughs) (laughs) I am telling you, I am absolutely blown away. First of all, that it came out of me, that I wrote this, that I was able to write it. Because I'd always struggled with writing over the years because I never really had a format or like a plan. Like with me, when I wrote, prior to Blazed, nothing ever had an ending because Mm -hmm. I just didn't know how to land the plane. I never wanted it to end. So I was just shocked that I was able to come up with a script that was so good. And I'm really proud of it because it has a whole vibe. It has a set you up, takes you on a journey. And even though it continues, there still is a a feeling of resolution. And it shocked me that I had the ability to edit it, to produce it. I did all the music for it. The fact that I was able to put together such a good cast because I just happened to know a lot of really talented people. I loved the world I created. I loved these people I came up with. And it was just in the response to that that I'm like, oh, I can't let this go. This this is now a beast of its own. Now I've created something new that I'm going to have to maintain. I just, I could not let it go. Blazed All Our Lives is a soap opera in the style of like a dynasty mm-hmm. or uh, Dallas or that kind mm-hmm. of thing. I am reluctant to call this like, it's not really a parody because I mean, while it does kind of poke fun at some of the conventions of those shows, it actually, in many times when I was listening to it, it feels very much like, oh yeah, this is something that Dynasty would do. That this Mm -hmm. is exactly the same kind of thing Mm -hmm. that you expect to see in a soap opera like this. Why did you want to do a soap opera Dynasty style story? Well, I'm a drag queen. Yeah. So I love camp. Right. I love outrageous women. I love bonkers storylines. 
I love soap operas. I was I grew up watching One Life to Live and General Hospital as a kid. Then when I met my partner while I was in college, he was a very big fan of Days of Our Lives. So he would watch it every single day. And I'm like, I'm a one life to live person. I'm not watching this show. No, I don't want to watch it. And of course, I completely get sucked into it. And I just loved the stupidity. Like, it's so dumb. These storylines are so stupid. And it's just so much fun. It's so ridiculous and over the top. So I love anything that is just so silly. In the first episode, we are dropped into the middle of the story. It feels like, oh, we've missed a few episodes, but that's okay. We can catch up pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. You create the town of Misty River. It's a town that's filled with very rich and gorgeous people, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone is handsome or pretty. You have yourself playing yourself or a version of yourself. Yes. So we have Sister Indica playing Sister Indica. Mm -hmm. uh, who is running a media empire here in Misty River. Her best friend is Pandora Destranger. Who is another drag queen, and that's her drag name. We also have a mother figure to Sister Indica, Mrs. Lily Banks, mm -hmm. who is saintly. She runs the orphanage. She raises money for the hospital, right? She's just this perfect, perfect figure. Indica is currently engaged to Seymour Bush. And by the way, you must have been having... I mean, I know that names are like a big part of the drag experience, right? The puns yes. and, and the, the double entendres and things like that. But y'all are clearly having fun with this. Seymour Bush is is her fiance who recently divorced Rosie Bush, who is the one you mentioned earlier, the, who is my who drag daughter and nemesis in the show. We also have the character of Joanne Michaels, who is Rosie's assistant. And Joanne Michaels is also a drag queen. And that is her drag name. All four of us are based on our drag characters. There is a movie called Girls Will Be Girls. And it stars three previously prominent known drag queens, Coco Peru, Evie Harris, Barla Jean Merman. They play fictionalized versions of themselves. And that was my inspiration for when we did Blaze. I'm like, I want to have it center around us four and kind of base all of our personalities very loosely on our actual drag characters. And I'm talking loosely, very right. loosely. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's a completely fictionalized version of all of us. But that's kind of why there's four of us that have names that are drag names. It's because we were drag queens before Blazed. And I kind of just wanted to do a little homage to Girls Will Be Girls. The plot of the first episode is, I mean, it's again, it's something I you would expect to see right out of a show like A Dynasty or Falcon Crest or what have you. It's but. so dumb. <laughs> we, we started a funeral. A guy named Giovanni Valducci is dead. Everyone's there. Sister Indica was close to him. Mm -hmm, best friend. Indica and Rosie meet there and they're, they're rivals. They clash and they, they have words. Lots of lovely little put downs and insults um, yes. whenever the two of them are, get together. As luck would have it, Sister Indica and Pandora were heading right their way. Rosie Bush. How considerate of you to show up. Too bad Giovanni hated you. He had no opinions of you, Joanne, but Rosie? Yeah, he couldn't stand you. And neither can I. So why the hell are you here? I'm so sorry for your loss, dear sister. And of course I'm referring to Giovanni, not your weight. Even Helen Keller could see that you've been eating your feelings again. You know, Rosie, I've always admired your dedication to that hair color. What flavor Kool-Aid are you using to get that shade of red? Really, girl? You coming for her wig? <laughs> okay. Trudeau. Oh, go to hell, Pandora. And you, 
indica. My husband's taste in women sure has cheapened. Exactly what magazine did you find that perfume sample in? Then later on, we get to see a meeting of uh, Sister Indica's board of directors. And, uh, Sister Indica's business is in danger. The board of directors wants to pull out, but she has this plan to save her company by hosting an event to raise money for an orphanage Christmas event. In the meantime, though, Rosie is bitter because uh, Seymour divorced her in order to marry Sister Indica. <laughs> but then it turns out that that he's actually secretly plotting to to disgrace her and take over her company. And then there's there's a whole plot about Rosie blackmailing Joanne to kill <laughs> Sister Indica. And then there's there's like sudden accidents and there's secret passages and there's eavesdropping and there's bedside confessions. There's a wedding and there's infidelity and there's infidelity to discovered and there's a dramatic tearful death i mean you've got it all in here um and it's all packed into one hour i'm sorry i'm laughing so much but it just sounds so stupid it sounds dumber <laughs> hearing it, someone else talk about it <laughs> what have i done sister indica looked down at the diamond one of the largest stones she'd ever seen and burst into tears oh seymour yes yes i'll marry you the couple kissed deeply for what seemed like an eternity, but the spell of love was broken by the buzzing of the intercom. Sister, it's time. Well, Mr. Bush, it seems that your little volcano has to go and destroy a few villages. Kill them all, my love. Seymour gave Sister Indica one last kiss before leaving her alone in her office. All her fears had dissolved. The love of a man had filled her with the confidence and determination needed to remind the stockholders exactly who was the boss. Meanwhile, outside Sister Indica's office door, Seymour was making a phone call. Biff, yes, my love, it's done. Of course she said yes. You think she was going to turn me down? No woman can resist my charms. Must be because I don't want any of them. <laughs> I only want you. My hot little sexy twink. I can't wait to get this hog down the aisle so I can take controlling interest of Rogue Nun Productions and leave her alone and dead ass broke, just like she deserves. <laughs> this is melodrama, right? Which is. Oh my God, is it? <laughs> you know, melodrama as a style is it's designed to appeal to the senses and it's sensational subjects. It's scandal and it's sexy and, you know, and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and there's overly uh, sort of larger than life characters that are, you know, you got clear good people and clear bad people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and it doesn't really challenge the status quo. What do you love about melodrama? What do you love about this stuff? Just the overamped emotions. Again, I think this goes back to the fact that I'm autistic and have ADHD yeah. and have experienced larger than life emotions my entire life. And I think that's a big misconception of the autistic community is that folks who are aut autistic don't have emotions or we don't feel mm. them or where we just don't have those emotions. And I, I have to say it is completely the opposite. We have them all times a million and so it's incredibly overwhelming, like life is overwhelming to a lot of us because we feel everything to such a degree. So to me, melodrama is my life. It's the, <laughs> it's the way of life. And, you know, being in the drag scene, we're just a melodramatic bunch. We are yeah. a larger than life bunch. So larger than life personalities, dialogue, storylines, like I honestly 
could not do anything else. That's all I have in me. And anytime I try to go outside of that with other writing projects that I'm doing, I can't. <laughs> it's got to be just ridiculous. Much like John Waters, you know, there's a there's an element of absolute ridiculousness to everything John Waters has ever done, even when he tried to go mainstream with like yeah. spray. It's right. still ridiculous. Yeah. So he, you know, it's just I'm leaning into it. That's what I do. I do over the top camp, ridiculous, outlandish storylines and character development. I love it. How humiliating. I can't believe you embarrassed me like that. Can't you plan your mental breakdowns more appropriately? Like not when we're in the most exclusive boutique in all of Misty River. How will I ever show my face there again? Humiliation? You want to talk about humiliation? How about the fact that you're blackmailing me? Forcing me to murder someone in cold blood just because they're marrying your ex-husband. Do you realize how insane that is? Do you realize how insane you are? Now, now, Joanne, calm down. You'll work yourself into yet another breakdown. Isn't one enough for the day? Joanne was unhinged. She started driving faster and more erratically. She made wild turns around the mountainside, cutting off a semi-truck. Joanne, slow down. You almost hit that truck. You're going to get us killed. And I know how sensitive you are about killing. I will kill us. I'll drive us right off the side of this fucking mountain. I can't take it anymore. Why bother living if every day is going to be like this? My life is a living hell. Melodrama sometimes gets a bad rap because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's like, oh, it's simple characters or it's unbelievable storylines and things like that. But we as a culture love melodrama. Hell yeah, we do. I, uh, most of the Marvel movies the, with the superheroes, uh, the most of those are melodrama. Just maybe not as over the top, but it's still about clear good and clear evil and lots of explosions and, you know, lots of things that appeal to the senses. And Titanic, which was forever one of the biggest, you know, movies of mm-hmm. all time. That's melodrama right there. Yeah, I mean, sports are melodramatic. Mm-hmm. Like, are you kidding they me? Are. Politics yeah. is melodramatic. Like, all these people are our performers. Being able to see the world from a different perspective, which I think is like a neurodivergent superpower. I don't buy into the conventions of anything. And I can go, oh, these people are just performing. I do want to touch on the other thing that, that pops up in this, in, which is the blazed part of mm-hmm. Blazed All Our Lives. Why the inclusion of marijuana culture in the storyline? Because my name is Sister Indica, yeah. and Indica is marijuana. So right. anything about related to marijuana has always been. I'm a you know huge proponent of you know decriminalization, legalization. Mm-hmm. I just find that the societal attitude toward cannabis is completely ridiculous. It's a natural substance from the earth. It's harmless, in my opinion. You know, when I became a sister and chose my drag name or my sister name, I wanted to reflect who I was as a person, which is a big fucking stoner. So (laughs) that's why when I'm like, if I'm going to do something like a soap opera, of course, it's going to have to involve cannabis in some level. And it sure does. And it doesn't let up. We're recording this uh, toward the end of the year in 2023. And unfortunately, drag has been in the news the mm-hmm. past few months, specifically with several people taking issue with, for example, uh, drag queens reading to children at the mm-hmm. library and, you know, and other things like that. And there's been some talk about legislation and, and that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. And actions, not just talk. Could you talk a little bit about your perspective uh, with this? Uh, maybe why you think drag is 
becoming sort of the target for this kind of stuff at this time. I think there's always a rotating villain Mm -hmm. in society. It's always somebody. It's always somebody else. There's always some reason why your life is a mess, why you're unhappy. And I think that politicians will tap into those pain points that are not always based in truth, but just based Mm -hmm. in fear. And they like to exploit that for their own agendas, especially when they couch it in. It's for the children. Can we just can we just cut through all the bullshit and and, and come to an agreement that politicians don't give a fuck about the children of this country? If you saw how they reacted to Sandy Hook and there's been no meaningful legislation against gun violence since then, when children were mowed down and now it's a recurring thing. It's just, it's just what we're supposed to accept as part of being an American is there's school shootings. If you look at child poverty rates and how many children are hungry and how many children are starving, how many children are homeless, and you want to talk about our homelessness crisis, mm-hmm. do you know how often the situation is that people are pushed through the foster care system and they graduate from it, quote unquote, by becoming 18 yeah. and they end up on the streets. So if you want to talk about caring about children, then let's talk about child poverty. Let's talk about child death at the hands of guns. Let's talk about access to healthy, nutritious food. Once they started do addressing those things, then I will take anything they say about drag queens seriously. But until that day happens, drag, trans, the queer community has always been just a scapegoat for the problems that society chooses to turn a blind eye to and go, actually, no, it's It's those drag queens that's the problem. It's not the fact that we're bought by the gun manufacturing industry. You know, that's not what's happening here. It's not that we're servants to corporate greed. Drag poses no threat to children. The threat that children are under is violence and poverty. So let's talk about you a little bit more. I love that's my favorite topic. (laughs) What do you struggle with? Well, um, my ego or not necessarily in the sense that I think I'm the best but more so in my hesitance to outsource things to other people. Mm, I struggle with delegating. There are some bases to this, like the times where I have, you know, said, hey, can you help me with X, Y, and Z? And people have said, absolutely. And then have fallen through. Just made me go, well, I'm obviously not going to continue to reach out to people because when I do, I ended up having to do it myself. So I'll just do it myself and just forget it. If I could do it all over again, knowing what I know now, I would put a team in place that's like, you're going to do music, you're going to do editing, you can help direct the sessions with the people that want the direction, and I will write it, I'll star in it, I will promote it, I will do as much as I can, but I would have found a team of people that I could depend on because then I could produce a hell of a lot more. How do you measure success? My measure of success, first and foremost, is do I enjoy it? Whatever I'm doing, whether that's Blaze, whether it's Joy Bomb, whether it's putting out records, whatever it is, do I enjoy it? Do I love it? Do I feel like that sense of release and completion when you've finished a project? Do I feel that satisfaction of, wow, I did that? So that is my measure. I take the positive comments people have about me and my work with the same weight as negative comments, and I will not internalize either. Because to me, it's two sides of the same coin. It's Mm. outside. It's outside interference, whether it's positive or negative. I don't let that cloud me. It all comes back down to how do I feel about something? What do I think? 
And I have friends who have shows that have done ridiculous amounts of downloads. They are so successful. They are so talented. And I'm just like, if you're going to stack us up next to each other, then I'm obviously a failure. So like it can't be measured with numbers because to me, that's not accurate that I haven't been able to find a larger audience. I don't think it's a fault. I just think it's it happens or it doesn't. And you can just hope that people are onto what you do. But if you're happy with what you're doing, to me, I'm that's a success. Is there anything else that you would like to say? Yes. Subscribe to Blazed All Our Lives wherever you find podcasts and do yourself a favor and start with part four. <laughs> start with part four. Part, okay. Start with part four. You don't need the first three chapters. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to join this man and this woman in holy matrimony. While Mrs. Banks gave Sister Indica and Seymour their vows, Joanne had her hand in her purse, fingering the trigger of the gun she'd stolen from Rosie. She was waiting for the right time to silence her prey. Forever. If anyone knows any reason why these two should not wed, speak now or forever hold. Just then, a bedraggled Pandora burst into the room. Stop the wedding! Stop the wedding! What started as a one-off project has found a life of its own. Blazed All Our Lives leans hard into the camp and melodrama of the soap operas it draws from. And for those who celebrate the broad emotions and over-the-top situations, it provides a lot of fun. You can listen to Blazed All Our Lives on most major podcast platforms or see our show notes for more information. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All the opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. This show is a production of Alien Ghost Robot Creative Media. If you want more information, want to sign up for our newsletter, or are an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, visit our website at thefirstepisodeof.com. We're happy to be a part of the Audio Drama Lab, a Discord-based resource for audio drama development and networking. Check it out at audiodramalab.com. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.